the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, President Biden makes a visit to Ukraine and Poland. Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. Never. We'll take a closer look with James Carafano of Heritage. We are where we are. There are no do-overs. And Molly Hemingway. If he used this trip as a means to get everybody to the table to end this horrific war, I would be much more impressed. We'll look at the broader geopolitical challenge behind everything in Ukraine and China with their eyes on Taiwan. Time is not on our side. The threat from China is real. We just need to be moving heaven and earth, arm Taiwan to the teeth before it's too late. Plus, a look at the efforts to protect our young people from the cruel gender transition myths. These procedures for children could be banned in the state of Texas if the Texas Medical Board would just do their job. We've got all this and more. I'm Mark Davis in for Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. You can catch my talk show each weekday morning live 7 to 10 a.m. Central on 660 a.m. The Answer in Dallas-Fort Worth or online anytime, anywhere at 660amtheanswer.com. My home station, also easy to get on your handheld device through the TuneIn Radio app. And take a moment to follow us on Twitter at Town Hall Review. And while you're there, follow me as well at Mark, M-A-R-K, at Mark Davis. Let's begin with Ukraine. President made a surprise visit to the capital city of Kiev this past weekend. He also visited our NATO allies in Poland. One year into this war, Putin no longer doubts the strength of our coalition. But he still doubts our conviction. He doubts our staying power. He doubts our continued support for Ukraine. He doubts whether NATO can remain unified. But there should be no doubt. Our support for Ukraine will not waver. NATO will not be divided, and we will not tire. The president's visit came as Vladimir Putin's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine passes the one-year mark. James Carafano of the Heritage Foundation joined Joe Piscopo, my colleague on AM 970, The Answer, in New York City. Regardless of what anybody thinks about Ukraine, good, bad, indifferent, don't spend yeah. money, spend money, whatever, we, we are where we are. There are no yes. do-overs. The calendar is... The reality is, is, and this is the thing I want to wrap our heads around. One is, the Russian conventional military has now been degraded to a point where Putin really can't invade anybody. I kind of, when people say, oh my God, he'll escalate. He can't beat Ukraine. How's he going to escalate? And, uh... um, and he, I, I, so, first of all, I think that means we're going to need less U.S. military presence in Europe in the future than we, than we have argued, than we thought we would need. That's Good news for us. We're going to save money in the long run on that. The other thing is, is, and this is the thing nobody's really talking about. Look at the governments that are standing up to Putin. They're all in Eastern and Southern and Central Europe. They're conservative center-right governments. They believe in burden sharing. They're, they've all increased their defense spending. Some of them actually, as a percentage of GDP, actually spend now more than we do. They, by, by proportionally, they can't do as much as we can, but proportionally, 
they're giving more aid to Ukraine than, than we are. They're anti-Putin. They're anti-China. They're pro-American. Um, they want a stronger NATO. They want to do more to support a stronger NATO. They believe in family values. They believe in parental education, you know, parentally guided education. They believe in uh, religious liberty, individual rights, mm. lower taxes, and stupid woke stuff. Now, who does that sound like? Sounds like Joe Piscopo. Yeah. So we said we walk away from Europe. Dude, you're walking away from the people who believe in exactly the same things you do and yeah. want to be there with you, yeah. and they want to carry their share of the load. That's yeah. the reality of where we are. And yeah. here's the other, this is my favorite part. You know what yeah. else they love? They love oil and gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, uh, so, Jim, so, so, there's a great point that you made. There's no way Putin could go into Poland. He's not going to have the – he won't have the strength to go into Poland. I mean, and, and I hope I'm right when I say that. So we've depleted the Russian army to the point where – and the and, and that's not you, – you know it for, through the Heritage Foundation, Mr. Carafano, you know what's going on. Because we don't – we don't. We know what we hear. I don't know if it's truthful coming out of Ukraine. I don't know if it's truthful coming out of, uh, of Russia or Washington. We don't know what to believe anymore. But you're telling us because this is what you do. Uh, James, and you're telling me that Putin is weakened to the point where he couldn't make a move into Poland if he wanted to. I, I think that's for you. We just had an example because you know this. The number one way Russia makes money is oil and gas exports. The number two they make money is arms exports. Well, that, there's a big problem there. First of all, nobody wants to buy their crap anymore because they saw bad it performs. But the other thing is, is Putin is going to be struggling to rebuild his own military. And remember, he doesn't have access to this, all this stuff, chips and everything else in the foreign world to, to do that. Which is not a case, Serbia, which for years actually still bought Russian stuff. They just announced they're going to stop. They're getting rid of the Soviet MiGs. Wow. For the reason they can't get parts. Wow. The Look at can't yeah. even supply their yeah. customers yeah. parts. Yeah. That yeah, that that is amazing, and 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 uh, like it was interesting. He went to Ukraine. I think he should have been in East Palestine. You I appreciate right, you saying yeah. that, but Ohio. But he was there, and it was kind of cool to see him there. But uh, he wasn't Reagan with Gorbachev. You know what I mean? No. He wasn't. I mean, he the poor guy. And I I don't know that I could do it. So I don't mean to accuse President Biden, but he was shuffling around. And oh yeah, I think this one. By the way, I was on that train. I took that train to Kiev, and, and yeah. I also met with with. Uh, uh, Zelensky. The difference is, I went when when it was still the height of the war. Biden went, and this this I don't mean this is an ungenerous comment, but this is true. Sure, he went now that they're almost guaranteed that Russia can't win. Got it. So they he, waited. Yeah, he Got could it. have gone. He if he had gone, and this is I'm sorry, if he had gone six months ago, when the when the outcome was in peril, and he wanted to stand with the Ukrainian people, I would have yeah. thought that was courageous and brave. Now I yeah. think he's just gone because he thinks it's a victory. You know, it's a victory lap. And you know what? Really, I'm sorry, but when he said, "We will always be with you. We will never abandon you," you know, would have loved to have heard that the people of Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. He ran away from the people of yeah. Afghanistan. Thank you know you. why? Because he got thank food. you. He thought yeah. the Taliban were coming in, and he thought he was going to kick their butt, and so he ran away. And the reality is, and the truth is, he was going to throw Ukraine under the bus. He already told you he was doing nothing for Ukraine. He told the Ukrainians, "You're on your own." Then the invasion started. The country didn't collapse. Europeans didn't collapse. He 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 was a debacle in Afghanistan, and to recover from that, he said, "Oh my God, I support this war." So, I this guy as a leader, I'm sorry, I have nothing nothing good to say for him. I'm glad. Look, I'm glad we support the Ukrainian people. Yeah, I'm understood. glad they're not losing. I'm glad yeah. Russia's losing. 
But yeah. if you think I'm ever going to have a word of admiration for for Joe Biden, <laughs> then you got I'm on the wrong radio show. <laughs> Man, you are good, my brother. I tell you what, I know you. Know, but you want to be supportive. I know you. You you're like me. You know, it's your Italian heart, man. Come on, it's your Italian heart, Jimmy. Jimmy, it's like you get you care about the poor refugees in Ukraine. I've, how do you walk away from these people? Well, help me through here before we let you go, Mr. Carafano. Why is everybody? And I see uh, on TV, there are uh, very, very powerful people on television saying, Zelensky's crooked, Ukraine's crooked, we shouldn't be in this war. How do you walk away from the refugees being being attacked to the degree that they are, Fry Putin? You can't walk away. What's your explanation well, to these people that hate hate Zelensky? They hate Ukraine. You got to do something, no? Well, you know, it's, look, we are there because, let's be honest, it is in our interest. We want a stable Western Europe. We don't want to have to fight a war with NATO and Ukraine is making sure it doesn't happen. China is Russia's biggest ally. China wanted to move into Europe. They were hoping the Ukrainians were going to fall in a minute. And so by defeating Russia, we did a blow to China. You know, we have accomplished more with military aid to Ukraine than all our years in investing in NATO and making sure that Putin's not a threat in the future. It's no secret. The support from the U.S. that is so vital to Ukraine's ability to fight has been waning. Some of the more notable critics have come from the right. My colleague Hugh Hewitt turned to Molly Hemingway, a frequent guest on Fox News and the editor-in-chief at The Federalist. Now, Molly, let's get to Ukraine. Uh, let's, I'm just going to give you the open forum. What did you think of the president's trip? I definitely did not think anything along the lines of what you thought. And I don't really like, well, there are many problems I have with this kind of trip. And it really starts with just a disagreement about this approach to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, which I think we all agree is a problem. I think the U.S. has been involved in this war without thinking strategically about what it wants to accomplish and what its involvement will do. I saw all these people complaining about if China were to help Russia by uh, giving weapons, that that would prolong the war. Well, that's true, and that's what we're doing. We're prolonging a war here. We have not been pushing for peaceful reconciliation. If he used this trip as a means to get everybody to the table to end this horrific war... I would be much more impressed, but I don't see that happening. It sounds like people just want to prolong things, spend money without a clear strategy, without an understanding of where we're going, and without any understanding of how it serves our national interests. All right, now, Molly, I think it's a necessary step. The aid to Ukraine is a necessary step to stop the new axis of evil, which is anchored in Beijing and has an arm in Tehran and another arm in Moscow, and to stop the particular disaster that is the Ukrainian butchery from going forward. we got to defeat Putin. Uh, my end game is that the people in the Kremlin just have a Khrushchev day where all of a sudden Putin's gone. And that's my end game. Uh, and yeah, I don't but- think we get there any other way. And if Putin gets to the, the border, uh, if he absorbs all of Ukraine, I think we're in, it, it's sort of like the Sudetenland followed by Czechoslovakia, followed by Poland in the 30s. You're, like you're, you don't who, agree, obviously. Yeah, people who, who support this type of prolonging of this war kind of are all over the place. They went from saying we had to do this because otherwise he's going to take over all of Europe, which doesn't seem to match with how he even thinks in terms of whether he would go after an actual NATO country. But there's also the issue that we have seen in this war that the Russian army is not capable of doing that. That's actually one of the great things we've seen in this war. So I'm not so worried about that, but I am worried about further driving China and Russia together and Iran. You don't want to give them opportunity. It's like the opposite of the of the um, of the approach we took in the 70s, where we understood that we had to kind of work with China so that we could go after the Soviet Union. 
this we're just driving them all together. We have not gotten the support of the world in this. And so it makes us weaker at a time that we should be stronger against China. We should be pivoting and thinking really about how we can take on this adversary, China. Well, I can hold two thoughts. I can agree with the second thing you said and disagree profoundly with the first thing. But, Molly, let's let's give each other a test. The best case against the Biden approach is that it's been incoherent and it's self-provocative. I, I know what the best case is against the approach he's pursued. What is the best case for his approach, Molly? Uh, I would say, I don't know, the best case might be that he has shown some restraint. I mean, the big risk when you go to war with Russia is that they have 6,500 nuclear warheads. We've done a lot of arming and amplifying this effort, but we haven't gotten as far as to provoke a nuclear response. That might be the best. Coming up, China eyes Taiwan. Time is not on our side. The threat from China is real. China's attempting to meddle in their upcoming election. And so we just need to be moving heaven and earth to arm Taiwan to the teeth before it's too late. When the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. I'm Mark Davis filling in. As we all look at what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, most serious observers recognize there may be an even more pressing geopolitical struggle, and that would be China and the United States. After President Xi's recent re-election last October, China and the CCP have been much more aggressive. China clearly has its eyes on Taiwan. Wisconsin Congressman Mike Gallagher just visited that island nation, and the chair of our new Select Committee on China joined Hugh Hewitt. When did you go to Taiwan? Last uh, last week. I was there for four days on the ground, and it was a very fruitful trip. I think the thing that stands out more than anything else is the fact that, you know, we need to be moving faster to deliver on the foreign military sales items that they've purchased. We're nearing $20 billion worth of equipment uh, that has yet to be delivered, including some stingers and javelins that they purchased in 2015, and we have yet to deliver. So at the same time, we're lecturing the Taiwanese about investing in asymmetric defense. Well, we need to provide the asymmetric weapons that they purchased that would allow them to defend their country. And time is not on our side. The threat from China is real. China is attempting to meddle in their upcoming election. And so we just need to be moving heaven and earth to arm Taiwan to the teeth before it's too late. Now, Chairman Gallagher, I have never been to Taiwan, and you know I've been to Hong Kong, I've been to Japan, I, I've just never been to Taiwan. Give our Steelers fans some idea of what that island nation is like. Uh, well, it's incredibly easy uh, to get to, and um, it's incredibly safe, uh, and it's very Taipei is a very modern city, so I think your listeners uh, would love uh, a visit there. I mean, it's it's very it's you know it's first world. Uh, city in, in Taipei. It's absolutely beautiful. I mean, one thing that I think going there gives you an appreciation for, well, let me say two things. One, just how remarkable the Taiwanese experiment is. I mean, you're talking about a country that transitioned from authoritarian rule to democracy uh, 
effectively bloodlessly, which is rare, if not unprecedented in, in modern history. Uh, and the second thing is the terrain is very, very difficult. I mean, this is a difficult military problem for the PLA to solve, not only just the difficulties inherent to conducting an amphibious landing, but just the vegetation, the hills, um, you know, the fact that it's an island makes it very difficult to conquer. That being said, and the Taiwanese are very conscious of this, if the good news is that it's an island, the bad news is that it's an island and it'd be very difficult to resupply in the event of a conflict. All the more reason why we need to be surging and stockpiling munitions to the island now before the shooting starts. And almost every Taiwanese leader that I spoke to brought up the issue of Ukraine as a wake-up call in terms of the risks of modern warfare, uh, the risks of authoritarian aggression, aggression, and they are on the front lines of authoritarian aggression. Uh, in my op-ed, I, I sort of referenced a speech that, sh- that President Tsai gave at their National Day last year in October, where she talked about that, and she also talked about the fact that uh, you know to say I am Taiwanese is a statement of honor, given everything the nation that everything that Taiwan has accomplished in recent years. Many Taiwanese leaders, uh, I mentioned, uh, particularly the, their director general of something called NSP, the head of their intel agency, talked about the increasing strategic convergence between Russia and China and how Putin is increasingly China's junior partner. A vassal state, war right? It's becoming a vassal exactly. state like Iran. And so for critics of our aid to Ukraine to suggest that we could somehow isolate that problem and thereby reinvest resources into the Pacific, I think misunderstands the de facto alliance that we're seeing on display between Russia and China. Uh, And so I think we need to do a better job of teasing out the connection and the partnership between these two countries. Uh, Congressman Gallagher, I think uh, General Secretary Xi has flipped the script from 1972. He's going to go to Moscow in the next few months. That's been announced in the Wall Street Journal today, which is an echo of the flip script of Nixon going to Beijing. The stronger partner goes to the weaker partner in the three-way superpower competition. I think that's going to happen. And I think the reality of the new axis of evil, Beijing, Moscow, and Tehran is there. And Americans have to open their eyes. It's really one enemy. And I, I mean, they're an enemy. They're an adversary. Agree or disagree? I agree. Well, I've, as, whenever I'm asked, is, uh, the, is China our enemy? I say, well, the Chinese Communist Party is the enemy of freedom everywhere it exists, and it's the enemy of the Chinese people. Chinese people need not be our enemy. In fact, they're the primary victims of the Chinese Communist Party's aggression. And understanding that distinction, I think, is critical, critical to our effort. Um, you know, basically, if you, if you look back to the No Limits Partnership that was signed between Putin and Xi before the invasion, Uh, You saw similar rhetoric about, you know, color revolutions. These are two leaders that share a sense of historical revisionism, grievance, a desire to sort of uh, reclaim the glories uh, that were lost long ago uh, for their countries. And though they are strange bedfellows, though they have diverging interests in some areas, they're very good at presenting united front against their main enemy, the United States. So they don't hesitate to think about us to talk about us as an adversary, even as we sometimes clutch pearls in terms of the language we use to describe these evil, evil regimes. Is the CCP's long game? I think it is, but I'll, I think they eventually intend to get Manchuria back. Russia took it from them. 
and they intend to exploit Russia's natural resources in the way that that they need natural resource exploitation from Africa and Cambodia. They are expansionist, and Russia just can't oppose that. They're so desperate. Putin's worried about hanging on to power, I think, at this point. So Xi's going to have the keys to the Kremlin. And I don't think I'm being alarmist here. I think that's the reality. Well, right now he's got the keys to the gas station of the Kremlin. He's getting uh, energy on the cheap as a result of the war in Ukraine. Our nation's going to find it challenging to come together for a long contest with China. We're tensely divided and politically polarized on all kinds of issues. Here at home, we're swept up in a sexual and moral agenda, distracting us from the nature of the world as it really is an agenda that hurts our youth deeply. Here in Texas, State Representative Brian Harrison is pushing back, and he was a guest on my show on 660 AM, The Answer in DFW. In Texas, we have parents, doctors, hospitals who say that it's okay to take your confused daughter and try to turn her into a boy and vice versa. Yeah, well, Mark, as you know well, and, and I'm proud of this, as proud as anybody, that Texas has a well-deserved historical reputation for leading the nation in the defense of liberty and freedom and, and conservative values. And we just got to make sure we live up to our own reputation across the board here. And, and maybe there's no greater example of an area where we need to get to work immediately faster than on the protection of these beautiful Texas children who are being subjected to these ghastly and incredibly dangerous gender mutilation uh, procedures. I, I do not like the fact that on this issue, uh, I think it's indefensible that Texas has not led on this. I don't like us following any states on these types of things, but we've got states like Utah and Arkansas and Florida and Alabama, South Dakota, Tennessee, North Dakota, who have protected their children. It's time Texas leads on this issue and protects our children. We've got to get that done right now. How in the world can we have people who are asleep at the switch of this or willing to do only so much? Mark, before you and I finish this phone call, these procedures for children could be banned in the state of Texas if the Texas Medical Board would just do their job. This is the story, the aspect that nobody has covered. The Texas Medical Board can regulate the practice of medicine. It's how Florida banned these procedures. It wasn't even the legislature. Even the bureaucrats in Florida have done a better job protecting their kids than the elected officials here in Texas. Coming up, more on the gender alignment myth. Doctors really need to answer for why they're putting minors down this path when they refuse to be there for them should they need help coming out of it. When the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. America is giving away its inventions and technology to China. The Chinese Communist Party intends to surpass us and to be the world leader in innovative technology. The shocking new movie, Innovation Race, exposes the potential Chinese takeover of 5G and the Internet, threatening America's economic and military security. Dominating technology means you dominate the world itself. Watch the movie, Innovation Race, now on demand or DVD at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review, brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Mark Davis, filling in for Hugh today. The U.S. looks like the wild, wild west right now when it comes to surgical and medical gender reassignment. Even nations in Western Europe are pulling back, particularly when it comes to minors. But here in America, 
full steam ahead. For our young people, this is downright cruel. Kevin McCulloch turned to Kelsey Bolar, a contributor to The Federalist. From AM 970, The Answer in New York City. Medical professionals, you assert, are basically abandoning the people that they helped transition. Why are they saying that this is happening, and what difference does it make to those that are trying to detransition now? Yeah, Kevin, thanks for talking about this. It's probably one of the most tragic stories that I've reported on in my many years as a journalist, and that's the case of Prisha Mosley, who is a female detransitioner. She has a long history of very serious mental health illnesses. Despite that, instead of treating her mental health conditions, doctors fast-tracked her on the transgender assembly line, putting her on testosterone when she was 17 years old and moving forward with a double mastectomy as soon as she turned 18. No surprise, just a few short years later, she came to regret all of this, and she's now suffering severe medical and mental health complications because of it. She is going down her insurance providers list, trying to find doctors to help treat the very serious complications she's facing. And she is getting turned down one doctor to the next. She says, I can call doctors every day and just get hung up on. Nobody can help me. She feels like a medical monster. And it really just exposes the experimental nature of so-called gender-affirming care because doctors are so enthusiastically pushing minors down this route of cross-sex hormones, which do not have long-term studies on their side effects. They're enabling them to get irreversible surgeries. And then when or should they change their minds, these same providers are not there to offer them any care to re-regulate their bodies, to try to get their lives back. Risha not only is in medical disarray, but her mental health is really suffering. And on top of it, all her medical costs are bankrupting her. She can hardly, she's a student in Michigan now, she can hardly afford her basic health insurance. She no longer wants to treat her physical body without taking care of her mind, her mental illnesses first, and she has found a specialized kind of therapy that has helped her. It has completely bankrupt her, so she's totally bankrupt and medically abandoned. It is so tragic, and doctors really need to answer for why they're putting minors down this path when they refuse to be there for them should they need help coming out of it. I know that uh, Governor Nome in uh, South Dakota just signed a bill this week that makes it the law that they, they will not do gender uh, reassignments on kids or I think puberty blockers or hormones uh, for kids in that state. But are we seeing other public offices step up and say, not on our watch, we're not we're not doing this? Unfortunately, you're seeing red and blue states act predictably, where thankfully red states are finally stepping up. They're not afraid of entering this battle because I think we have done a good job of exposing the medical harms uh, that these types of drugs and procedures are inflicting on children. But blue states are moving the exact opposite direction. I mean, not only are they working to, you know, California is making itself a sanctuary state where children can go there to receive these types of drugs and so-called gender-affirming care without their parents' permission, 
um, but states all across the country are trying to prevent parents from even having the basic right to be involved in conversations regarding their child's mental health when issues of gender confusion come up in school. This is completely atrocious. Unfortunately, it's happening in my own home state of Virginia where I have young kids. This is something I now have to be worried about when I send them to school. If they ever express any confusion about their gender identity, the teacher has no obligation to report that to me. And this is why we have a case, you know, where a girl in Virginia ended up being sex trafficked and totally abused because the mother didn't know she was, her, her daughter was suffering this type of gender confusion. So she didn't even have the opportunity to help. It's severing the most basic fundamental ties between parent and child and atrocious that anyone would want to cut parents out of these important mental health and medical decisions involving their children. Coming up. Targeting the family is the way to bring down Western civilization, and they're absolutely doing that, and we we need to stop it. Carol Markowitz, when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Every day we hear news about violent assaults, carjackings, and other acts of crime spiraling across the United States. Washington's answer is to confiscate your guns, but a new book from Regnery offers hope for a better solution. Professional firearms instructor and veteran gun store owner Larry Correa's new book, In Defense of the Second Amendment, pulls back the curtain on Washington's gun-grabbing agenda and how you can protect your rights as well as your family. Yet, In Defense of the Second Amendment, new from Regnery, available at Amazon.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review. Mark Davis in for Hugh Hewitt. So many of the problems and challenges we face in our nation and our culture really have one reason, one cause at their root, the erosion of the American family. Directly related, the deliberate effort by cultural elites to subvert the family unit. Carol Markowitz, great writer, has a wonderful recent column that caught the attention of Carl Jackson. The title, Tell Your Kids Marriage is More Important Than Money or Career, Because It Is. From the Carl Jackson Podcast. Tell your kids marriage is more important than money or career uh, because it is. And frankly, this was even convicting to, I believe this, but it was even convicting, uh, frankly, for me to read. And I had to reexamine some of my own thinking and habits that I've developed uh, over over the years. But I I do understand this, and I'm going to get your take on this, Carol. Uh, The easiest way to destroy Western civilization is to undermine traditional marriage and, and, and the family. You're absolutely right. So it's funny that you, you mentioned that. Um, like I said, in college, I had, you know, my, my brief uh, moment of not being conservative, I would say, maybe. Um, but I found recently a paper that I wrote in college. And I remember thinking to myself that I just have to say whatever the teachers want. And the paper was how the family was an outdated concept. And obviously, wow. I got an A. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what the teacher wanted to hear. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that is being taught to our kids and, and being done indoctrinated in that way. I don't remember ever thinking that I, I was getting indoctrinated, but now looking at this paper and seeing that I got an A on this ridiculousness, um, you know, really showed me something. So I, I think you're absolutely right that targeting the family is the way to bring down Western civilization. And they're absolutely doing that. And we, we need to stop it. Um, so in this piece, 
the, there was a Pew study that showed that parents preferred by quite a lot that their kids um, are happy in their job or financially secure to them getting married and having children. And the main thing that I want people to realize is those two things are very related. Getting married and having children is a path to financial success and being happy at your job. Those two things are just, they're conjoined in our society. Uh, married people make more money, both men and women. Um, and it's not a coincidence. You become more settled, you become more grounded, and you have something to work for. So, I, you know, the idea that it's one or the other is ridiculous. If you want to be financially successful, if you want to be successful at your job, get married, have that stability. It'll take you really far. You know, there was a uh, there was a study, and I believe I... I forget the name of the liberal think tank. I don't know why I always forget the name of the liberal think tank, but also Heritage talked about it. Uh, if you want to be successful, uh, graduate high school, get a job, uh, get married, then have kids, and you're yeah. going to graduate. I mean, over 95% of the time, you're going to graduate out of poverty and at least into uh, into the middle class. Absolutely. Uh, and it's amazing to me how I, I just wonder if this is – I, I don't even know how to frame it. Perhaps guilt from the left, the maybe of their own sins, or this. Uh, it, you know, I listen. Obviously, I grew up in uh, the, the the black community, and and I can remember in the early '80s, Carol, where even talking about divorce then, when we ran into kids that had divorced parents, we were like, "Dang, for real, your your parents are are, are divorced." And I can tell you, going through a transition where it did seem like, man, this person. This person, you know, all these kids growing up right. in single family homes and there was an apartment complex where I, where uh, I lived that was even lower income. And it was basically single moms and mm -hmm. uh, their kids. So it's just fascinating to see how this stuff transpires um, and and that people don't pay attention to it. I, I, I'm afraid I'm a Christian. Even, I, I feel like even in the church, sometimes we don't pay attention to these social indicators. Um, That's so true. And, you know, so I'm Jewish and uh, in, in the Jewish community, I feel like it's um, it, depending on how, you know, or the Orthodox Jewish community, I think that they really do promote the idea of marriage and family in, in, a, in a really uh, structured and deep way as a way, as a path to happiness, as a path to success, as a path mm -hmm. to fulfillment. Um, but I would say that the secular Jewish community of which I am a part is afraid to offend anybody. So they're afraid to say marriage is the best path because what about all the people that aren't married, you know, and, and, right. and having kids in wedlock is the best path. But what about all the people who don't have kids in wedlock? We can't be afraid to say what is, you know, better. It, it, there is an obvious better path. Look, does that mean that we hate single moms or that we don't that we that we don't um, feel you know love or or compassion for single moms? Absolutely not. It just means that there is a better path, and we should encourage our children to take that path. Yeah, you know, I, um, I so. Part of my story is, I mean, I was a little hellion. I always had somewhat of a brain on me, Carol, but I was a little hellion growing up, got into some trouble with the law, had a child uh, out of wedlock. I'm, I'm I'm married now and my wife helped raise my uh, my daughter. Um, but I, I would I, I would say this because during that time I became a Christian. I also became a conservative uh, politically. But one thing that I never did is I never threw away uh, the, the, the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, mm -hmm. like I realized that I had kind of 
that I had screwed up, frankly, uh, but I wanted a better path for my for for my child. I don't understand why people will just throw out this idea, this concept of traditional family, even though you may have grown up in a single parent home, like a family, traditional family is still the best way. Is it just guilt? Why do they do that? I, I do think it's guilt. I, well, not guilt, but just not wanting to offend. I think that hmm. the again, the idea that one path is clearly better than the other one is something that you're not supposed to say, but it is. Uh, and, and just like, it's not just about, you know, marriage and family, our topic, but like you said, you know, graduating high school is better than not graduating high school, right. and et cetera. There, there are things that are better to do for your life and for your future than, than not. A lot of this, the whole destruction of the family, the girls are not, you know, real, boys are not real, this can change from day to day. All of that is is related to keeping us in a very narrow confine where we're not allowed to speak outside of that and you're not allowed to have ideas outside of that. Um, like when you take care of yourself or when you do things for, for your, you know, I like to say like, past Carol does, does things for future Carol, because that, like I, when I get, when I get to that point, I'm like, thank you. Thank you for thinking ahead about this. You know, wow. um, those are good things. And they, not everything is not the same. That's, that's the, the conversation around equity and, and sameness and conformity. Things aren't supposed to all be the same. We're not all supposed to be the same. And so our paths are not all equal. They're not going to be as good as other paths. You can get more of the Carl Jackson podcast at the Salem Podcast Network. Coming up. These people induce the reasons for this overwhelming sadness and take zero responsibility for it. Dennis Prager, the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Don Crow. This week in the Christian Outlook, sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, we'll look at the challenge of our young adults today. Their social media accounts really encourages them to feel a lot of depression and anxiety and hopelessness and so forth. And the youth who have fallen victim to the gender transition myth. Doctors really need to answer for why they're putting minors down this path when they refuse to be there for them should they need help coming out of it. Plus, we'll talk to a leading economist on the inflation hitting the American family. Inflation is always more stubborn than people think. And the prospects for what's ahead. Our own internal Boyer Research forecast is something about 4.5% over the next five years. Be sure to join us and visit our website at ChristianOutlook.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review. I'm Mark Davis. CDC released some new data this week. Our teen girls are depressed, feeling hopeless, and suicidal. My friend Dennis Prager, reviewing the Washington Post article on the data, is wondering why. So I'm going to read to you from the news piece about the CDC's report. The headline is, Teen Girls Engulfed in Violence and Trauma, CDC Finds. According to federal researchers who released data on Monday showing increases in rape and sexual violence, as well as record levels of feeling sad or hopeless. So the question is why? The CDC hasn't a clue. When you tell them that the society hates women, that it's a patriarchal 
violent society. There is no God. Religion is nonsense. And your future is to be incinerated by global warming. Gee, why would they be engulfed by sadness? Oh, I forgot. And you may, in fact, be a boy. These people induce the reasons for this overwhelming sadness and take zero responsibility for it. That was not completely a surprise for Lori McGarry Close, past president of the National Association of School Psychologists. The first thing that came to mind about the rise in depressive symptoms, she said, was this is the hard data that shows what we have known anecdotally for the last couple of years. Teens were hit hard by the isolation and disruption of the pandemic, but many were also shaken by a series of high-profile cases of racial injustice, the woman said. Even though the George Floyd death was not a result of racism, so what exactly are they referring to? How racist this country is. That's what it is. Oh, that's true. 2020 was a horrific year. One of the darkest years in American history. It was dark because the authorities let thugs in the name of anti-racism destroy many of our cities. Here's another piece from the Washington Post report on that. The CDC steered attention to the nation's schools, saying activities there can make a profound difference in the lives of teens. It recommended improved access to mental health services, more classroom management training for teachers, School clubs that foster gay-straight alliances, high-quality health education, and enforcement of anti-harassment policies. The CDC is packed with fools. That's it. That's what's going to lower trauma among teenage girls and depression. More gay-straight alliances and more anti-harassment laws. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for the Town Hall Review. If you like the show, go to townhallreview.com. Sign up for a daily dose of the very best in talk radio. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Schubin, producers David Pochon, Tim Gantner, and Michael Cook. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Mark Davison for Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.